Hola, bonjour, bon dia, guten tag, sabachir, and hello again to all of you wonderful travel lovers and Egypt enthusiasts who have been faithfully listening to each and every episode of the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast. And to the new folks, by the way, too, who are just discovering this podcast for the first time with this latest episode. If this is your first time listening to it, Marhaban, as they say in Arabic, as you'll hear in Egypt, or welcome to the absolute best resource you will find anywhere on travel to and around Egypt. Just check the reviews of this podcast, if you don't believe me, to see how many listeners who want to go to Egypt have been scouring the internet looking for rich, meaty, practical information about visiting Egypt, and they finally find EgyptTravelBlog.com and especially the Egypt Travel Blog podcast. And they just think it's a gift sent down from heaven because it is so detailed with all the info you want to know about planning a trip to Egypt and also so much more that you had no earthly idea you even needed to know before and during a trip to Egypt. We've got you covered, and specifically, I have got you covered here because I am your dedicated host for the Egypt Travel Blog podcast. In every episode, I try to give all of you a huge brain dump on a new topic or few related to Egypt travel from my decade and a half of experience living, studying, working, uh, et cetera, et cetera, in Egypt, and from welcoming and leading hundreds and hundreds of guests around Egypt to have the time of their lives and the bucket list trip of their lifetime in Egypt, as everyone does who visits there. Bam. All right. Moving on along. Right on down to Aswan and Abu Simbel, as promised. Okay, these two places are always linked to one another, by the way, because Abu Simbel, which is a really famous and impressive ancient site, is primarily accessible only through Aswan, even though the two sites are nearly as far apart from one another as Aswan and Luxor are. But Luxor is just so saturated with ancient awesomeness that it always has to stand alone as a topic unto itself. But Aswan, on the other hand, well, it's a much more quaint town further up the Nile, even more quaint than Luxor. Luxor's quaint, but Aswan's even more chill. Now, okay, Aswan is upriver from Luxor, but it's located further south. You all know where I'm going here with this, right? If you remember in the last two-parter on Luxor, in the first part of that two-parter, I explained and discussed why southern Egypt is called Upper Egypt and northern Egypt is called Lower Egypt. So just to review really quickly, it's because of the flow of the Nile from south to north. So towns further south in Egypt are upriver along the Nile, which is why we refer to the upriver portion in the south as upper Egypt. And the reverse for the downriver part or lower part of the Nile in the north being called lower Egypt. Okay, now that we've reinforced that important concept to understand about Luxor and Aswan in the south or upper Egypt, you'll totally get me saying that Aswan is further upriver and at the same time about three hours south from Luxor by train. Abu Simbel is actually about another three-hour journey even further south from Aswan, but there are no trains running that far south, which is almost down by the Egyptian-Sudanese border that far south. Abu Simbel is also accessible by air via a short hop on Egypt Air from Aswan. That's why I said Aswan and Abu Simbel are so closely linked, because unless you're flying private, you have to either fly from Aswan or take an organized caravan from Aswan to get to Abu Simbel. All right, but now you might be asking, if Abu Simbel is so far out of the way when visiting Egypt, what the hell is so special about it such that people would add at least two extra days to their itineraries and go through Aswan in order to see it? What's so amazing about Abu Simbel? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Abu Simbel is one of the most remarkable sites in Egypt to see, to be honest. First, it's enormous. 
It's a massive temple cut into the side of a mountain. And there's really nothing else like it surviving elsewhere in Egypt in terms of being cut into a mountain. And uh, I mean, there's Karnak, obviously, that's a huge temple. It's freestanding. It's open air. Abu Simbel's a little bit different because it's carved into a mountain face and then into the mountain for the interior. So think like the treasury at Petra, if you've ever been there, or Mount Rushmore in the United States, um, a huge, beautiful facade cut way before any of those, and which continues into the mountain for the rest of the temple. The temples at Abu Simbel, remember I said there are two. Uh, they were built about, let's say, roughly 3,300 years ago by Ramses II, a.k.a. Ramses the Great. Big Daddy Ramses II is pretty much widely known as one of the greatest and most remarkable pharaohs in all of Egyptian history. He lived a really long time until about 90 years old, which was almost unheard of, even hundreds of years ago, much less thousands of years ago. He also really reigned a long time, about 66 years, which was also nearly unheard of back then. You know, he was no doubt an incredible, incredible figure in ancient history. Probably not the nicest of guys, but an enormously important historical figure in Egyptian history, nonetheless. So Ramses the Great built the two temples that are now located at Abu Simbel. And I'll get into why I phrase it that way in a minute. The first temple, though, was for himself, duh. And the second was for his primary and favorite and beautiful and historically famous wife, Nefertari. But these temples, though, were originally located a little ways away from where they currently rest at Abu Simbel. See, in the 1960s, when the Aswan High Dam was being built to replace the old Aswan Dam, which finally regulated the flow and flooding of the Nile every year, the new huge lake that was going to be formed by the new dam, now called Lake Nasser, was going to flood a lot of ancient sites and ruins along the banks of the Nile further upstream, and even into Sudan. So as you know by now, Egypt is just filled with ancient sites and monuments, more than the government could ever afford to maintain and take care of and protect. So in the interest of continuing to control the flooding of the Nile and updating and modernizing the all-important Grand Dam on the Nile at Aswan for the sake of the entire rest of the country, really, Egypt just had to deal with some ancient sites and monuments being submerged below the waters of Lake Nasser after the new high dam was built. But the loss of a few of these ancient sites that were going to get submerged was just too much for Egyptians and people around the world to take. And so an international campaign began to raise money to relocate the grandest and most important of these sites to higher ground so that they could survive the construction of the new dam and the resulting giant lake. Now, chief among these sites everyone wanted to save were the temples built by and for Ramses II and his queen Nefertari. So between 1964 and 1968, these absolutely massive temples were painstakingly cut into 20 and 30 ton blocks and transported one by one to higher and safer ground. Then they were painstakingly reassembled in the side of another mountain so that today we can still visit and enjoy and marvel at these ancient monuments and they survived. You know, to get a sense of the scale and magnitude of such an endeavor, imagine someone coming to you and saying, okay, Mount Rushmore in the U.S. is about to be flooded, so we need to cut it into thousands of blocks and move it to a new location, then reassemble it and make it look just as grandiose as it originally did in its original mountainside. This was an absolutely unbelievable feat of engineering, and you know we are just all so grateful today that these 3,300-year-old unbelievable temples are still around for us to visit. 
So as if the story of how the temples of Ramses II and Queen Nefertari at Abu Simbel survived isn't enough of a reason to want to visit them alone, then suffice it to say that they are quite a sight to behold, which is why peeps in the 60s went to so much trouble to save them. The most grand of these two temples, the one dedicated to Ramses the Great himself, has a really famous facade that's seen in nearly all pictures of Abu Simbel, which consists of four enormous towering statues of the big daddy himself seated on a throne and wearing the double united crown of Upper and Lower Egypt. Just walking around outside of these temples and marveling at their facades is impressive enough, but you can go inside of both of them and walk around in their interiors to explore a little too. You know, some say that the reason Ramses II constructed these ginormous statues so far south at the far reaches of the Egyptian empire was to serve as a warning for any invading armies from the south that the empire that they were approaching to the north, Egypt, was far mightier and far grander and far stronger than they could ever imagine. And therefore, they should heed the warning and beware of the might of the strong and powerful Egyptian empire ahead. This is what these monuments, these temples, were designed to convey 3,300 years ago to anyone who happened upon them marching through the desert. So imagine they still have that effect today. You come upon them and you're just like, oh my God, Egypt back then just must have been so incredible, so grand, so powerful, so rich to be able to build such massive, massive monuments. And it still gives you that effect today. Okay. Now, I'll be honest. Abu Simbel is a rough place to be sometimes, not only because of its remoteness and distance from civilization, but also because of the intense heat that comes midday and in the afternoon year-round. Bus convoys from Aswan that take you to Abu Simbel leave super, super early in the morning so that you can be down at the site by early morning after the sun's up spend a few hours looking around, and then they load up and head back to Aswan about 11-ish. If you stay much longer than that, you're going to get fried and scrambled into breakfast under the searing sun down there in in southern Egypt and almost at northern Sudan. Trust me, you want to be out of Abu Simbel by noonish, or at least indoors somewhere down there for the afternoon if you're waiting on a flight back. So before and after a visit to Abu Simbel, Like I said earlier, you almost always have to hang out in Aswan. Aswan is a super chill little town along the Nile, way more chill and chillaxed than Luxor. And that's saying something because Luxor is pretty chillaxed already. The main tourist attractions in Aswan are the temples of Philae and the Aswan High Dam, which I personally don't think is all that impressive compared to the touristy dams in the U.S., like the Hoover Dam and those in China and elsewhere, if you're into dams. But it's a thing, and uh, the Egyptians are very, very proud of the Aswan High Dam. And while I wouldn't say it's worth going to Aswan just to see, it is worth checking out if you're already in Aswan. More interesting to me in Aswan, though, are a few other places, like Elephantine Island, for example, is pretty, and it has some neat ruins to check out. There's also some neat Coptic Christian stuff to see in Aswan, like the Archangel Michael's Coptic Orthodox Cathedral, which is there. And some really neat Nubian stuff, too, like the Nubian village, Um, since Aswan is so connected with the ancient Nubian Empire as well, because it's on the southern border of the old Egyptian Empire between Egypt and Nubia. So they kept exchanging part of that land over the centuries and millennia in battles as they invade each other and take over each other's territory. Aswan's so far down there that it was Nubian sometimes, too. I'd recommend the Nubian Museum in Aswan also if you have some extra time and want to explore a little bit. and. A felucca boat sail on the Nile down in Aswan, can't go wrong. I think I talked about felucca boat sails in both Cairo and Luxor, but doing one in Aswan is the best place to do it because Aswan is just so much more chill and peaceful 
and you won't get 17 parasitic infections if you happen to fall in the Nile that far south. I know Western people who have actually swam in the Nile and Aswan, and they didn't grow three eyes or three arms, which you're pretty much guaranteed to do if you touch Nile water further downriver in Cairo. Okay, so that's pretty much Aswan for you. I don't normally include Aswan or even Abu Simbel as a must-see place to visit in Egypt if you only have a week, because I think Cairo and Giza and Luxor rank much higher on the list of must-see places in Egypt. If you have more than a week, though, Aswan and Abu Simbel would probably be the next places on my list of recommendations if you want more Egyptian village life and ancient temples. However, if you want to get your beach and sun and scuba on, then I'd prioritize the Red Sea resorts over Aswan and Abu Simbel, which we'll cover in detail in the next episode. So there we have it. Skinny on Aswan and Abu Simbel in this 10th episode of the Egypt Travel Blog podcast. Notice I didn't talk about any scams in this episode for once because there really aren't any Aswan or Abu Simbel specific scams. They have the touristy trinkets for sale and the same tactics, you know, being employed in Luxor and Cairo sometimes, uh, but on a much smaller scale. Aswan really is a much more chill and laid back part of Egypt and, and only the coastal towns perhaps are even more laid back than Aswan. Just make sure you keep all of my general Egypt advice in mind on a visit to Aswan and Abu Simbel and you'll be good to go. Okay. Molto bene, todo bien, or kulukwais, as they say in Arabic. I love that phrase, kulukwais. It kind of means all is good or everything's good, like todo bien in Spanish. Kulukwais in Arabic. You know, real quick story to wrap up. The first time I moved to Cairo, I had an apartment out in a local neighborhood in Giza with some friends, some roommates. And we had this door woman. Uh, most apartment buildings in Egypt, or at least in Cairo, have a door person that's called a boab. It's usually a man, but sometimes a woman. And they look out for everything. They're like your blocks, eyes, and ears. They see everything and everyone that comes and goes. They know everyone's business. They can spot anything suspicious in a heartbeat. It's a really neat system. But so anyway, we had a male boab and his older mother helped out too as a part-time boab or boaba maybe for a female. I don't know. Anyway, when my friends and I were first looking for an apartment in Egypt, we knew very few words in Arabic, but we knew things like the basics, like thank you and yes and good or bad. So uh, the Boab at the building that we were checking out that we eventually went with, they really wanted us, what they perceived to be relatively well-off Canadians and Americans, to move into this apartment building and move into the neighborhood. And they were really concerned with how we liked the place after we toured it. So they kept asking us, you know, people would translate, but they're asking us like, how do you like it? How do you like it? Do you like it? Are you going to move in? We want you here, blah, blah, blah. So the only thing we knew how to say at the time, which was in any way relevant to reply, was the word good, which is quice in Arabic. So this like 900-year-old Boab woman, bless her heart, thought for the next year that the only word we ever knew in Arabic was quais. And she had this elderly, raspy voice and would always say quais to us every time, every time we saw her for the whole next year. Uh, by the end of it, we were pretty much speaking Arabic pretty damn well. Uh, but to her, all she thought we understood was that one word, quais. So every time we saw her entering the building, exiting the building, whatever, all she would say to us in question form was quice, as if to say, you know, is all good? Everything good? Are y'all good? 
And we'd always give her a thumbs up and say, Quice, back, and she would smile. It was so cute. So hopefully you'll remember that word in Arabic now, Quice, which means good. And Kulu means all. So you put them together. Kulu Quice means all good or all is good. So there you go. Kulu Quice now with another meaty episode of the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast. This one on Aswan and Abu Simbel, and in the end, my first Boab in Egypt, we called Quias. Okay, email me at either john at egypttravelblog.com or john at egyptdelete.com if you have any questions at all. I promise, on one of these future episodes, I'm actually going to do just a Q&A from all the questions that listeners email me all the time and the super thorough and meaty answers I send back to them. I absolutely love helping people with questions about travel to and around Egypt. So don't be shy. If you have some of your own, you'll be absolutely shocked at how thorough I am in responding. And I often keep in touch with and even become friends with people who've just emailed me to ask random questions about upcoming travel plans. So don't be afraid. I don't bite, I promise. You're not bothering me. If you have questions, even if you're going with another group, you're going on your own, whatever, um, and you just want to say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's my itinerary. Does anything look off? Does anything look, you know, can we adjust this anyway to make it flow better? Happy to look at stuff like that. Happy to give you feedback. I love this stuff, and I'd do it 24-7 if I could. But, well, maybe 18-7. I do love a good nap a few hours a day. Anyway, okay, that's it for the 10th episode of the Egypt Travel Blog Podcast. And we will see you in the next one coming up soon. I promise. All right. Masalama Habibis. Habibis.